0: Welcome to this episode of the CareerCast podcast brought to you by the Career Development Committee for the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma. My name is Charlie Harris and I'll be be the moderator for this session. Today, we're gonna try something different. Uh, One question that comes up when some of our uh, fellow and junior faculty members uh, have is how can they navigate membership in a professional society to create success in your career and uh, other advancement opportunities. And in order to give some insight on that question, uh, we thought it would be beneficial to hear uh, from some of those members who have done exactly that, which would be our East Pass presidents. So today we are starting what will hopefully become a series of profiles on our past presidents. And I'm pleased to welcome one of my mentors from fellowship, Dr. Andrew Bernard, to be the first. Andrew, thank you for joining me.
1: Uh, It's my pleasure, Charlie, my pleasure. Thank you, uh,
0: Dr. Bernard is the uh, Paul A. Carney Endowed Chair in Trauma Surgery, the Trauma Medical Director and Division Chief at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, Kentucky. In addition, he's been the East and he's been an East member since two thousand four and served as the thirty first president of East in twenty eighteen. All right. So just to get started, uh, I'd like to provide you an opportunity just to give us some biographical information on you. Where are you from, and what was your journey like, and uh, decision
1: uh, to join the medical profession. Thanks, Charlie. Let me just first say uh, what a delight it is to be here. Um, Talk about success. It's been wonderful to see your career success and uh, all of us who participate in education and training of, of students and residents and fellows enjoy nothing more than seeing the folks that we had an opportunity, some small opportunity to educate be able to achieve their their career goals. So thanks for the opportunity and uh, it's particularly delightful to be here with with somebody who trained at Kentucky. Um, I'm from Kentucky, been in Kentucky basically the whole time. Lived a while in North Carolina but because my mom was a nurse anesthetist at the Durham VA and I used to follow her around the operating room at the Durham VA. So as you can imagine my first indoctrination to surgery. And um, the operating room was Duke anesthesia residents and Duke surgical residents. And it was an incredible experience. That was when I was in high school and in college down there doing some research. But all my training has been in Kentucky, undergrad, medical school, did an extra year as a pathologist during medical school, and then did seven years here in Kentucky that included two in the lab and did a two-year fellowship so uh, all that pretty much between 1986 when I came here to go to undergrad and 2004 when I finished my fellowship that's all it took and then I was a trauma attending. Okay Uh, so what experience pushed you and
0: well you sort of answered the question uh, for a career in surgery but did you consider other, any other specialties in surgery or were you uh, interested in trauma the whole time? No, I thought about being a pathologist
1: for a while. I was into forensics, but I liked the patient interaction, which just isn't the same in forensics. Mm-hmm. So I ruled that out. And uh, I liked family medicine, actually, because I liked the variety. I like being the patient's doctor. And when I was looking at family medicine residencies, I was looking for one that would give me a strong critical care experience. And I realized I was looking for the wrong residency. When you're looking for a family medicine residency, strong in critical care, you might be looking for the wrong residency. And then I just acknowledged what my gut said, which was that these people that I was uh, surrounded by as a helicopter dispatcher and as an EMT, these General surgeons didn't really understand what all they did, but it was super cool to me. They would come and go in the night and the the resonant dynamic with the faculty and and the hierarchy and the excitement was just really, really intriguing to me. Uh, So finally, I just acknowledged what my gut was saying and general surgery it was. But I thought about other stuff. I I think a lot of general surgeons do. Certainly a lot of trauma surgeons think about. Mm -hmm. Are, are interested in other stuff because it's just such a broad specialty.
0: It is. Um, did uh, any sort of mentorship uh, help you make that decision or? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, certainly. Like for so many of us. Um, I first learned about East sitting in the chair of my mentor, Paul Carney, in his office, probably being mm, counseled about something I didn't do properly, but <laughs> Glancing up on the wall was uh, this uh, Rising Sun logo in East. And uh, you know, over the years, you know, moving up in rank as a resident and sitting in there and beginning to think about trauma, uh, East became more of a something I recognized, this really special organization. He had been a member for years. Um, I had known him going back and forth to the meeting, had never been to a meeting until my time. Um, um, running my lab and, and submitting papers and presenting papers at the meeting. Uh, so it was my mentor, Paul Carney, who had uh, the strongest impact upon me and my research mentor, uh, Juan Ochoa, my lab mentor. They had the biggest impact upon me in terms of my academic career. But but I remember being interested in, in trauma, literally, as a helicopter dispatcher and And just seeing the way the trauma surgeons worked. Don Barker of the Barker Backpack Mm -hmm. uh, established this trauma center in the late 80s. was a key role model for me when I was a young EMT on the street. Paul Carney, as I mentioned, Steve Johnson, uh, Juan Ochoa, Bernie Belanger. Bernie Belanger was Avery Nathan's senior resident. So there's some lineage there. Bernie Boulanger Kenji Anaba will tell you is the reason that Kenji Anaba is a trauma surgeon. Wow. It's funny. It's just funny the way these families interact, right? And For sure. Now, now you're a Tulane guy. You it's know, a small uh, world. You work in a hospital that has Norm McSwain on the yeah. on the outside, and you work with Wanda Chesney, and it's just so. Uh, it's just such a great field. It's not a big family. It's not super big, but it's definitely a family, this trauma world. So, yes, short answer. That was a long answer to a short question. Lots of mentors along the way.
0: Very good. Um, And you kind of touched on this briefly, but uh, why did you join East?
1: Yeah, It it was the obvious choice. It's what you did at the time. Um, I think to a certain extent still is. Uh, It was much, much smaller. Uh, there was opportunity to go to the meeting. Uh, there was an early scholarship back then; they called it the Wyeth Research Scholarship, and of course, you had to be a member to be eligible for that. Um, there was there were committee service opportunities, uh, but it was the thing to do. It was mm-hmm. the 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 organization to join. I think it still is, um, and um, and it was my my uh, faculty who encouraged me to apply and. You know, supported my application, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, it's an easy organization to get into. It's just a great one uh, starting out. Okay.
0: Uh, and that was uh, approximately fellowship and transitioning to a first first job when you joined?
1: Yes, yes, exactly. I, I took over the lab that I had been in as a research fellow. I spent two years in that lab, wrote a bunch of papers, had a fantastic time, entirely non-clinical, two years non-clinical. Um, and uh, took over that lab when I became a fellow. So as a fellow, I had uh, the lab and was making the lab work, and then segued right into that as a faculty member, and I was coming out of my fellowship. I was in the second year of my fellowship, so I was a young faculty member. You remember doing that time here, um, you know, becoming a young faculty member, or developing your faculty identity, and part of that is organizational association involvement and membership mm-hmm. and developing a peer group that now extends outside uh, your place. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so that, that was a natural transition for me it came at a perfect time.
0: Okay. So what, uh, after you joined, what did you go through in order to become more involved with East? How did you start out within the, the organization?
1: Now, going to the meeting was was big uh, really important you can be a member pretty easily you can be a member of a lot of organizations pretty easily Uh, but really being involved you need to be there experience it feel it and it is really the people right it's the organization but the organization is the people it's the members it's your friends who are members it's the organizational leadership, it's the committee chairs. East has an incredible cadre of of executive leaders. These are the the folks we sometimes refer to as the office or the central office. These are the executives who make the organization run. Uh, So they were um, a, a presence and remain a presence and uh, these constant faces that you see when you're checking in mm-hmm. those faces who greet you greet you by name recognize you you know ask you how things are at home and the family and all that so showing up at the meeting developing relationships um hey, making yourself making yourself uh present mm-hmm. um kim davis One of my big mentors always says 90% of job performance is showing up and doing your job. And, of course, you can become a member of EAST pretty easily. But if you really want to be in, involved, and certainly be part of the organizational leadership, you just got to show up. Mm -hmm. Show up and then do your job uh, in a way get on a committee, and, um, and deliver in your committee responsibilities. Show up at the committee meetings, volunteer to take something, run with it, do a good job, bring it back. Do you remember your first committee? Uh, I, uh, my first committee was uh, a scholarship. scholarship. I had uh, applied for and been granted one of the research scholarships, which was career transformative for me at a time when I had no extramural funding. I had some intramural funding from the College of Medicine here at Kentucky, at UK, to keep my lab going. But this was extramural funding, and I was awarded the scholarship and then was invited by Kim Nagy to uh, direct the scholarship committee. So I chaired the scholarship committee right off the bat.
0: You chaired it right off the bat.
1: Shared it right off the bat.
0: Okay.
1: Very good. So a a, a lucky break, you might say. But being a <laughs> being a scholarship recipient certainly being a scholarship recipient certainly helped.
0: I could only imagine being a uh, being uh, at my first meeting and being a chair of a committee. So
1: well, interesting story. Yeah, it, the nice thing about the committees at East is that. Uh, you can you can generally pop in and visit and see what the committees are all about. course, the committee pages are all on the website. So you can go yeah. and see who's there, find somebody familiar, ask them about it, get to know it, see what the committees are up to. Presidential newsletter that comes out quarterly is generally a good summary of what's happening in the organization. And of course, now we have this thing that we didn't have before, which is this constant, uh, you know, flow of information in the form of social media, that's everything mm-hmm. that's going on in the organization. So, so many more ways to stay connected uh, today. Sure. Back then it was uh, the occasional committee meeting and the annual meeting, and there there wasn't that much large scale connectedness like there is today.
0: For sure. And I think even over the last year, Zoom uh, has really expanded our ability to, to stay in touch as well, or other it's, platforms.
1: For sure, yeah, it's transformed our ability to interact and, and get work done. It's a little uh, different, it's good and bad, right? Yeah. I, w- I would much rather be uh, at some, um, you know, uh, cool place there in New Orleans with you and, uh, you know, connecting over lunch or a drink, but we'll, we'll take this. This is better than, than not being together.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So um, can you walk us through, um... Your experience and ease from how you got from uh, the uh, the chair of your or as a member of your committee, then a chair of your committee. How does how does the whole process of getting involved in leadership opportunities within the organization work? Um, and how does how does one get into the even be in the conversation of being a candidate for president or secretary or treasurer or something like that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I'm glad you asked. It it, it can be uh, shrouded in a little bit of mystery, and uh, nobody wants it to be that way. Uh, it it can sometimes be perceived as um, uh, you know tapping of of one's you know peer group, old boys club, right? Prop- propagating propagating uh, leadership out of the same you know, bloodline or pool. Right. Certainly certainly not the way it works and certainly not the way that the leadership wants that to be perceived. You know, my, my course was uh, chairing the scholarship committee and I think uh, doing some things in the scholarship committee that were uh, new and, and innovative, trying to put my own spin on that experience leading and effectively being engaged, reporting to the board, being responsive to the board leadership and the entire membership about what they wanted in scholarship. And then I was able to to be responsible for CME. So we did CME uh, as a a service for a while and there was a whole uh, CME initiative. This back when getting CME was more difficult than it is today, you got it at the meeting Wasn't a lot of other good ways to get CME. And we had an education committee, online education committee, and we put together CME, promulgated CME uh, to provide training for folks. Now we do so much more. You can get so much just on your phone, education, video, so much that we didn't have back then. Um, So I was able to spend uh, time doing different things, getting to know uh, the organizational structure and trying to leave my mark, trying to do good hard work that was effective with the organization in mind and and, hoping that what I was doing was valuable work. Organizational leadership uh, apparently thought so. So they gave me uh, the opportunity to serve as the program chair and the program chair, is responsible for managing the annual meeting, which is a really, really fun and exciting job. Uh, just planning the meeting sounds like a major re-
0: responsibility as well.
1: Well, the good news is that there are professional meeting planners. You know, Rachel Dixon and uh, Christine Ean, they, they are professionals at carrying out meetings. Now, King of Latwina, um, they're pros. And uh, it's like a lot of things. It might look like you could sort of pull it together, but it's not intuitive. And there is a science to how major meetings are carried out, um, particularly with regards to budgeting. So remember in the old days when the East meeting started, it was a group of trauma surgeons, everything about it. There was no Christine e. There was no central office. There was no executive committee. So imagine, 30 or 40 or 50 trauma surgeons deciding they were going to go have a meeting. And they were going to have papers at the meeting. And out of the meeting, they were going to have manuscripts and all that. And they you know, put it together, did a fine job. But you can imagine the uh, how the budgeting met. So then you call a resort somewhere and say, we want to come. And we're going to bring our families. There was no negotiating a rate. We paid top dollar for everything. And um, people brought their administrative assistants who were typing up the the manuscripts in real time. And so they finished the meeting with, with printed papers that were ready to submit. It was just a massive amount of work done entirely by trauma surgeons who know a lot about trauma surgery, but don't necessarily know a whole lot about all those other things that go into a meeting. In any case, the good the good part of, about being a program chair is a lot of the structure of the meeting you, you don't have to worry about. But what you focus on is content. So you've got this, this um, annual scientific assembly committee. It's this really dynamic, uh, fun group of people who get together in Chicago in July and uh, read all the abstracts Talk about the abstracts, decide which abstracts are going to go on to the meeting, which ones are orals, which ones are posters and quick shots, and then look at all the special programming options. People propose special programming, short courses, half day symposia. You pick all that and you plan this terrific experience when you're going to all be together in six months in some great destination with all your friends. That's fun. So I, I had the opportunity to do that. And then I must have done okay at that because uh, they let me move up to the role of president. It's a, it was a lot of, lot of being around and doing stuff and trying to get my hands in a lot of the activities and um, working really hard for the organization and its members. Basically, meeting a lot
0: of people, doing your job, and eventually opportunities will make themselves available to you.
1: Yeah, people notice people who uh, are stepping up and stepping out, right? It can be as simple as a committee meeting. If you're on a committee, sometimes it's hard, right? You zoom in or call into to a committee meeting. You're in the middle of a busy operative day. Maybe you're between cases or you've got some patient issue or some personal issue, and it's not really convenient timing, and you're a little bit distracted. But when the committee chair says, hey, would anyone like to? Uh, Are there any volunteers? What do you want to volunteer for? That's the door opening, right? Mm -hmm. That's the time to step out. And I I know we have to be careful about not committing to too much, but particularly early in your career, you want to be relatively selective about what you say no to. Um, you, You don't want to launch off in, in, Big directions that are not in the direction that you think your career should go in. If if you're not a big time researcher and somebody comes and says, listen, I would like to have you be our research person. I would like to have you commit a significant amount of of your time to do this or that. That's probably not a good career choice. Mm -hmm. But getting involved in committees like this, getting involved in things in your department, um, Particularly if they're coming from somebody in a leadership position, I generally try to say yes to those things, particularly early in your career. Mm-hmm. So you'll then, you'll quickly you'll quickly become a standout like that.
0: And then once you have uh, have some experience and a little bit more of a defined trajectory, gives you the ability to be a little bit more selective in the future. Yeah, for sure. I talked to our
1: fellow applicants and young faculty here about this you can't expect to just by random chance end up in the place you want to be right you need to sit down and think about where you want to be in one years three years and five years and 10 years you don't have to necessarily commit exactly to any particular thing but general ideas about where you want to be and then you have to plan the path to get there. What clinical things to get there, what administrative things, what further education you might need, uh, what memberships you might need, contacts, organizational relationships you'll need to get there. And then you set about executing on that. It. It's like, uh, it's like orienteering. Uh, you're, you're in the wilderness, you know what you want to get from this point to that other point, and you want to get there in about this amount of time. Okay, how are we going to get there? We're going to go this step and then that step and then over there and then over there and then over there. And we think that's generally going to put us where we want to be in the time frame that we think. There's always going to be variability, but mm-hmm. you got to have a plan and you got to generally try to execute on it. And just like you do when you're in the wilderness and you're, you're orienteering is you've got to constantly be rechecking the map. hmm And you're you're rechecking your map with somebody who is a a mentor uh, or confidant that you can go to and say, here's where I am on this. I thought this is what I wanted and where I was going. I'm really not sure. What do you think? It's really important that you have this. We all have we all have little things all on the way and we have big things. I thought about going into private practice a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. This is before I was East president. I was about to go into private practice. And um, one of my senior faculty, I called him on the phone. I told him this. He said, why don't you come over? I said, okay, well, you know, we'll set up something. He said, no, come over right now. So I go over to his house and he's just pulling some steaks off the grill. And he and his wife were there on his back patio. And he pulled a chair over, poured me a glass of wine, uh, said, sit down and said, what's going on? Told him, you know, what's going on to my head. And he, luckily he was there to say, Hey, this may seem like the thing to do right at the time, academic, the academic hoo-ha is a big deal and I get it's weighing on you right now, but you are not gonna be happy doing that. I promise. Stay the course, stay the course. It was great advice. You're gonna get that along the way too. You gotta have those mentors to recheck your map and recheck your career plan, but you need a career plan. And in your career plan is things like getting involved in EAST, getting involved in a committee in EAST, Oh, and then you tell your mentor, um, so and so. Oh, yeah, so and so. Oh, yeah, great. There's somebody really to stick with. Stick with them, you know. Take their advice. You can trust them. That's how. That's how it should unfold.
0: Very nice. So, um, you had mentioned you were uh, the on the program committee. Um, is that the group from which the presidents are chosen? Um, is it just up for any nomination? Uh, Or do you have to get to a certain point to even be in
1: consideration? Yeah, there is no there is no guarantee to be the president other than the president elect. The historically, it came from the secretary, Mm -hmm. um, the secretary treasurer, Mm -hmm. and the and the and the program chair. Okay. Uh, now there's a secretary and a treasurer distinctly. Those are distinct roles. Mm-hmm. And there's not really a program chair. So um, it tends to still come from the secretary and the treasurer and on a three-year cycle. And then okay. the third year is a um, somebody who's not mm-hmm. the secretary or the treasurer, somebody else who has had a track record in the organization. And I think that's the thing for people to, understand and appreciate Um, moving up within the organization is dependent upon your track record, Mm -hmm. what you've done and how well you did it. Uh, I think in general, we do a good job at having these things be earned. And obviously, as I highlighted uh, in my presidential address on equity, we have to do that very carefully with uh, equity in mind making sure For we're sure. checking our, checking our biases. And I, I think we have to acknowledge that that we can't just be, we can't just be thinking about that among the senior leadership. We have to be thinking yeah. about how people get involved and how involved people get to be leadership and seeing, and, and, uh, and senior leadership. And we have to start at the very beginning, and make sure everybody from the very beginning has the same opportunity. So, for sure, uh, I think we're better about that than we have been. In the I think all the organizations are better than they have been in the past on that. For sure, it's funny the board, uh, board structure. Bo- boards are interesting things, and I, I've always thought it would be an interesting career class to do one on boards because all of us get invited to serve on boards. And board service is non intuitive either. Mm-hmm. Uh, surgeons, we tend to think we're good at everything, right? trauma surgeons in particular. Board service is special. It, there's a science to how boards work too. And um, and you learn a lot when you're on the board. You learn about how boards work, how boards function well. East board functions very, very well. Uh, but Um, lots of EAST members are going to be invited to participate, serve on boards. And I'm sure many of the members who are listening right now uh, can think of times when they saw a board not doing very well. Uh, Boards can get out of balance where the executive is really controlling things and the board really isn't doing anything. Uh, They can get out of balance where the board is controlling everything and wants to micromanage and the executive really can't do what they need to do to make the organization run the craziest board I was ever on was the local youth soccer club talk about <laughs> drama and dynamics that's the soccer that's parents the, that's the toughest board experience I ever had uh board functions very very well and that's another great thing about being able to be involved at the board level such a tremendous learning experience about organizational leadership for sure there, there are pros there
0: all right well um Is there anything else you'd like to uh add to the discussion uh in terms of uh how to become more involved in east and how it sounds like there are multiple different pathways uh to uh upper leadership within the organization it's just a matter of choosing which one is right for you we've sort of heard your pathway and i hope we can hear about different pathways from some of the other past presidents Um, But is there anything else that you would like to to add into this discussion?
1: Everybody will have a little bit uh, different trajectory, but people will say, I I went to the meeting. I love the meeting. I love seeing old friends and getting involved. And the committee membership is really important. Make sure it's fun. This ought to be fun. There's some parts to this job that are hard Mm -hmm. and sometimes not fun and tragic and and, um, sad. So make your East experience fun. Do what's fun for you. And it's a lot easier to excel in it and really get into it when it's fun. So enjoy it. It's an amazing organization, and it's been so, uh, so important to me growing up through my career. I appreciate you asking me, Charlie.
0: Yeah, no problem. Thank you for joining us. This has been uh, a uh, CareerCast episode brought to you by the Career Development Committee. Um, please tune in for further uh, opportunities to hear from other past presidents in the near future. Thank you.